would like to welcome you back to the second podcast from the Town of Onondaga Historical Society. Our last one, we interviewed author Richard Miller, who has written a four-book series on Split Rock, and we welcome author Rich Miller back again to further our knowledge on Split Rock. Mr. Miller, we're going to take, please take our listeners back to July 1st, 1918. Take us on a brief tour around the plant proper. We were standing in the middle of the area that Cement Salve had their munitions manufacturing set up. What would we see, such as you know the buildings and, and their purposes? Well, the, the, fir- the first thing you see when you come up the hill to the company property would be the guardhouse and the gate. All um, of the men, when they showed up for work, had their IDs checked. Uh, the, a large perimeter fence surrounded the whole area and in that area, which is probably basically two square miles, there are a lot of factories. Everybody's aware of the TNT factories because of the big explosion, not only the 1918, but there was one in 1916 in the middle of winter. Those are the first buildings you would see to your left. In front of you, there would be a laboratory, which was manned by scientists um, doing lab tests on the chemical production, both the company and military and, uh, and also government employees. Additionally, you had a cafeteria situated because the men needed to uh, have supervised uh, meals. Uh, basically, the company had to make sure they washed before they took uh, any food because they didn't want the men to ingest any of the chemicals that they were working with. Now, beyond that, you have uh, some of the administration buildings for the um, guard patrol, various things that are going on. Uh, the one thing you would see all over the place were these little guard shanties because not only were there patrolmen uh, going through the factory to ensure safety, you had uh, these little shanties where guards would check your ID as you went into another section of the plant. And basically, those are the things that have been photographed mainly because of a celebration they did on Flight Day 1917 and the explosion. But when you look at those photographs, beyond that, you see a lot of smokestacks. Now the next quarry, and these were old quarries from the uh, Erie Canal days, the next quarry was where they made picric acid, which is another high explosive. Both TNT and picric acid were used in the manufacture of uh, artillery shells torpedoes, sea mines, things like that. Uh, Especially TNT was used exclusively by the Navy to make um, torpedoes and and, uh, sea mines. But picric acid is used mainly by our foreign allies uh, in in Europe. Uh, These were the French, the English, and the Italians. They used picric acid rather than TNT, which the United States used. So beyond that is even more of a mystery because each section was limited to the men who worked in that section. So a person could not walk between different types of factories. But beyond that, we know from other articles that were written about uh, uh, split rock, chemists were very proud of the stuff they manufactured. So we also know they made ammonia picric, which is smokeless powder, also for explosives, uh, you know, and uh, artillery shells. We also know they were involved with a process of nitrogen fixation, taking nitrogen and hydrogen from the air, creating ammonia. And once you got ammonia, 
you could boil that down through a series of processes and make nitric acid. And all the explosives in World War One required nitric acid to create the the, the super high um, <clears throat> detonation of uh, of the the TNT, the toluene in the TNT, or the phenol that was in the picric acid. Also, beyond that, on Canada Hill were facilities to dry powder before shipment. We know there were barracks up there. Some of the single men lived in barracks. There were company houses from the quarry days that surrounded the whole factory. We know that uh, those were still being used in World War I to house workers. And we know even in the first quarry, there were blacksmith shops, machine shops, everything you needed uh, to maintain a factory. And down, down below were the uh, horse barns, which housed the horses to carry TNT from Split Rock over to Fairmont Station. Uh, and then there were um, railroad yards. There was an engine house because a lot of the material had to come in by train off the uh, Auburn and Syracuse trolley line. So you had maintenance of trains. You had uh, tank cars being pulled in. And you had all kinds of other uh, support facilities. You know, you, you, you can't imagine. You really can't imagine looking at the property today and just seeing the ruins. You can't imagine what was there in World War I. It sounded like it was a very, very busy place, 24-7, 365, which you're right. It's very hard to imagine today when you see more of a, uh, a residential and, in many cases, an abandoned area. July 2nd, 1918, the Big Bang. Refresh our memories from the last podcast about that fateful day for the community. Uh, yeah, on July 2nd, it was just uh, another day like any other day. Uh, there were three shifts working the factory around the clock. Um, the men came to work, uh, and apparently about 8.30, and it, there's some doubt because sometimes some of the witnesses said the fire started earlier, but a fire occurs in the TNT factory. Nobody knows the origin of it. And then an hour later, an explosion comes, and the newspapers always said the fire was followed by an explosion. That's basically all anybody knew at the time of the explosion. Of course, you had throughout the night, in that one hour, you had men fighting the fire. The um, guards doubled as firemen. Uh, the men uh, from the Pickard Acid Factory next door to TNT actually came to aid the TNT men to fight the fire. And you notice in the death reports, a lot of the men that were killed were, were actually Pickard Acid men, even though the fire was in the TNT factory. You had men who were scared for the lies. And basically... Uh, uh, the 19, and not basically, but actually the 1917 employee handbook for Split Rock has what you do in case of fire. It's, you know, manual to, to guide the workmen. And in case of fire, in big capital letters, it, it says, run for your life. Because the men were supposed to get out of there. There's nothing you can do once there was a fire in the factory. you got to imagine these factories are wood. They're saturated with the chemicals, and the chemicals are very flammable. I mean, you're talking about TNT, which is just as volatile as gasoline. So there's really nothing you could do to put out a fire. So what you have to do is just get out of there. And like I said, the uh, the uh, workers fighting the fire were mostly firemen who are actually the guards of the factory. That was their that was their call, and they realized they had a bigger fire than normally. Um, and basically, they had fires there, you know, probably every day, every week at least. Um, 
And so they realize now they got a fire bigger than, than they ever had. Now the building's on fire, not just a vat. So they called in the Syracuse Fire Department, the Salvage Fire Department. They called in the state troopers, uh, sheriff's department, anybody they could get to help. And then the explosion occurs. And then after that point, they're calling in all the ambulances from the Syracuse hospitals, which just had gone motorized at that time. Um, some of the uh, motorized ambulances broke down. They went back to their horse-drawn ambulances to bring the workers out of there. And then it was just a matter of cleanup. I mean, the, the basically the explosion put out the fire. It, it did extend the fire in a, in a certain way because it blew northward and caught all the buildings on fire, including the laboratory, the restaurant, uh, you know, the main offices that were there. But the fire pretty much put out the, I mean, the explosion, I should say, pretty much put out the fire. And then it was just a matter of cleanup. And next few days, you know, they're going through the ruins looking for the bodies. Uh, a lot of them, they weren't really whole bodies. Sometimes they found a hand. Sometimes, uh, one case, a guy found a mustache with a nose attached. I mean, it's uh, it's quite an explosion. It's, it, it's very uh, disheartening that these men... Uh, gave up their lives to, to save the building, but in the largest sense, they, they did a lot for the community. If that fire had spread, there was a bigger disaster that was pending. After the explosion, it, there was more to do than just clean up. Um, from your book, Flames Like Hades, we learned that an investigation into the Split Rock disaster was begun unofficially by a special committee of the Central Trades and Labor Assembly which had been appointed July 3rd by the committee, which was very soon after the explosion on July 2nd. However, the one central interest in your book was the coroner's inquest. You write in your book from the Syracuse Journal of July 5th, 1918. The coroner's inquest into the tragedy hadn't any suspicion that the fire and explosion were incendiary, and premeditation didn't exist in the minds of the officials. Quote, but all doubt as to the real cause will be removed before this probe is complete, unquote. Jointly, Coroner S. Ellis Crane and District Attorney John M. Walworth first sought to ascertain the facts about man manufacturing TNT and then determine the causes of the fire and crash. The article continues. According to the Syracuse Journal, the District Attorney and the Coroner were acquainted with the properties of TNT from the 1916 explosion and it was expected that very little expert testimony was needed concerning the, quote, dangerous explosive, unquote. And a side note from you states, they needed all the help they could get. What is your take on the coroner's inquest? It's um, a very complicated story. Um, of major concern uh, was people became acutely aware that things could get out of hand at Split Rock. They've had fires up there before. They hit the 1916 explosion, but everything pretty much was self-contained. Uh, the 1916 explosion only involved one building. Uh, five men were killed, but now you had a major explosion where you had bodies thrown hundreds, if not thousands of feet away from the explosion. So there was major concern. So everybody was starting up a committee to try to find out exactly how dangerous Split Rock was to the Syracuse community. You had the, the trades people formated, uh, form, formulating a, a committee because the men up there were not unionized, so you only had 
the trades that were really concerned with their deaths at the at the beginning of the uh, investigation. Syracuse City Hall was investigating. The Sheriff's Department was investigating. The fire departments were investigating. The military uh, intelligence groups were investigating. Uh, you have a, a whole bunch of people worried about the explosion. But the main part of the investigation now is left to the coroner's inquest. After each uh, accident in the Undugger County area where a death occurred, the coroner would have an inquest. And in this case, the district attorney decided to help the coroner to come to a conclusion as to the explosion. Um, it also helped his career. He became uh, mayor of Syracuse after this. But the coroner stated right from the beginning he was going to determine three things in his investigation and, and during these hearings uh, where he would bring witnesses uh, to uh, the morgue and have this investigation. He wanted to know what caused the fire, what caused the explosion, and what caused the deaths of the men. Now, a lot of experts throughout the country offered their services to this uh, hearing, but they were turned down by the district attorney and the uh, coroner because they said, well, we're acquainted with TNT from the 1916 explosion and we can handle it. Well, the whole inquest is really based on what caused the fire. And there's a lot of technical uh, material in the inquest that says, you know, uh, was it a water pressure problem that the fire got out of hand? But the whole inquest doesn't really get to the bottom of the, of the uh, deaths of the men. They leave it with, they don't know what caused the fire, and then they decide it was some kind of a spontaneous combustion that caused the explosion, which from what we know is really not the truth either. There's, there really is another cause for the explosion. Now, they suspected German agents might have done it. Um, there's other things, and I won't give away the, um, the details because some people are reading the book, and I don't want to ruined it for them, you know, as they, as they read through it. But there's a lot more to the story than, than just the fire, and that's where the concern is. But it was actually the explosion that killed the men. And then, again, it wasn't just the explosion that killed the men. There was other factors involved with why, why those men died. And there's about maybe a half a dozen causes why men were killed that night, not just from the explosion. So, in a, in a sense, the coroner's inquest really didn't uncover anything that wasn't in the newspapers. After the fire, explosion, deaths, injuries, strewn rubble around the Split Rock site, then what? From your book, there's a paragraph attributed to the Syracuse Herald newspaper of August 4th, 1918, discussing the future of Split Rock. Quote, so far as could be learned, the Semet Salve Company hadn't decided on the reconstruction of the Split Rock TNT place. Executive officers were either out of the city, professed ignorance on the subject, or refused to make any statement. From other reliable sources, however, the matter rested with the United States government. Semet Salve President HHS Handy publicly stated after the explosion that the company had desired to discontinue TNT production for some time, but had continued at the government's direction in meeting more emergency needs. Vice President E.L. Pierce also expressed that the reconstruction was very doubtful when asked the day after the disaster. When asked on Friday, Mr. Pierce said, quote, I have nothing to say on the subject, end quote. 
This sounds like the explosion was a calamity for those killed, injured, agitated community concern and fear, but a boon for the company concerning what plans they actually had for the site. Can you comment on what they had to say? Yes, as, as far as their ignorance, uh, that was probably uh, a very truthful statement because interviewing people that actually worked up there in World War One, they never saw any of the officers come to the company except one. Uh, and their, their response was, yeah, they, if they showed up, they never got beyond the front gate. They didn't want to get their clothes dirty. So they never really knew what was going on at Split Rock. Split Rock was left to a lot of foremen who were, you know, sometimes 16 years of age. They were running the factories. But what was happening with the TNT factory, it had a contract with the Navy to make TNT just for torpedoes and sea mines. And the government had told um, Summit Salve that we have another uh, way of uh, providing explosives. They were coming up with a, a new process, tri-nitro xyline, um, and um, they didn't need TNT anymore. So they were telling the company, you could discontinue operations, and this was just a, a few weeks before the explosion. Why the company really decided to continue with it is one of those kind of strange stories. Yes, the government was still using the material, but in a sense, they could have made something else that would have substituted for that material. And Split Rock really wasn't looked at as a long-term project when the quarries closed down and the explosive factory was started. It was just looked at something temporary, uh, but there was talk at the end of the war to turn Split Rock into a dye manufacturing plant. And that was a boon because the artificial dyes were uh, exclusively controlled by the Germans, and now the Americans could cash in on that from what they learned in making explosives because what you use to make dyes is the same material you use to make explosives. So they had a lot of expertise in that. And it shows that they were actually planning on continuing the factory because when they came down when it came down to uh, uh, getting rid of toxic material, they never dumped on the property they owned. They took everything out to the lake and dumped it on public property. So they kept the site cl clean so they could um, actually continue. But after the war, they realized, you know, Split Rock is uh, kind of isolated. It's hard to move material in and out. It is very isolated so they can make stuff that was explosives or, or uh, explosive or dangerous because it was isolated, but they also had the problem was it's so isolated, they can't move the material out quick enough to get to market. So they end up building factories in other places. But the company is very closed mouth when it comes to what they had plans for. And this even occurred when they were closing on the quarries because when they were closing the quarries, they had a big ad in the paper, Split Rock for Sale, and they were planning on using Split Rock to build the um, tuberculosis hospital rather than Hopper's Glen. But all of a sudden, the deal falls through, and the president of Salve Process says, where'd you get the idea we were selling the property? Well, you know, they were trying to sell it for a number of years. And Salve Process was the same company as Summit Salve. They had the same officers. Even though they were actually formed as separate companies, they were really one and the same. And that way, they could keep their secrets from the public, and that was the whole thing about Split Rock. It wasn't so much keep it secret because of the dangers, it was to keep it secret because of possible uh, uh, 
corporate espionage where, uh, you know, the um, other companies making, uh, you know, ma- uh, material chemicals in World War One would steal their patents. So they were very close mouth of what they were doing. And in fact, Split Rock really doesn't close down until probably 1920. And that was when the ammonia oxidation plant was built in uh, Salve itself. That was one of the top secret processes is that they uh, formulated exclusively at Split Rock. And it's because of that, you know, General Pershing said, if it wasn't for Split Rock, the Allies would have lost World War One. Not just Americans, the Allies would have lost World War One. And then there's other things going on there, a lot of um, very uh, secretive processes that they're trying to develop because Split Rock wasn't just a factory to make explosives, and they actually produced 25% of the picric acid in World War I, and they also produced as much as that before the Americans uh, entered the war. But as far as TNT, probably only 5% was produced at Split Rock. But besides production, they were also developing processes, such as the one I mentioned, ammonia oxidation. But there's also a possibility they were developing a radium bomb. And this is in the um, scientific articles at the time. And chemists, you got to understand, were very proud of what they were doing. And they would publish all this information in the public uh, um, scientific journals of the time, even though the Germans could read it. And people complained, like, you know, you're writing all this down. I mean, you know, we're not the only ones that could read this uh, this stuff. But what they were trying to do in World One was develop uh, a three-pound bomb that they could drop on a city and take out several city blocks. And as well, it could destroy fortresses. They weren't talking about a dirty bomb. They were actually talking about an atomic bomb. And at the time, they called it radioactive bomb. And before the war and after the war, uh, the inventor of uh, or the discoverer of radium was Madame Curie, and she and another scientist, um, Albert Einstein, would go to these conferences in Europe, and they were sponsored by Salve Process. And it just so happens up at uh, Split Rock, where Justina Foley says this fire started. She was the uh, town historian here. That is where there's uh, radioactivity even today. Uh, so. Obviously, they were trying to they were trying to do something, and and, and there's always the possibility that Split Rock was actually the birthplace of the atomic bomb, not these other places we, we hear about, you know, during World War II. So, what has become of the site over the past years since the Split Rock explosion and Summit Salve abandoning the site? Well, yeah, what happens uh, later on? Um, Salve process uh, cells. Uh, the Summit Salve portion of the TNT factory and the Pickard Acid factory to the New York State Department of Transportation, and they maintain it uh, for 60 years as a sign painting shop. And then after that, it becomes abandoned, and there's been all kinds of historic efforts to try to save the property, to, to preserve it as a, a, a historic site. But those haven't come to light because everybody's afraid of the liability of any pollution up there. So nobody's been willing to take it over. Well, Mr. Miller, again, this has been a um, a great podcast. You are definitely very, very interesting, and I've learned so much from uh, Split Rock from you over the past uh, two podcasts. Um, we'd like to let our listeners know that if you are interested in learning more about the Split Rock explosion, please visit the Friends of Split Rock Facebook page and the Town of Onondaga Historical Society Facebook page. 
Mr. Miller's books are highlighted and information on how to obtain the series is posted on those pages. And if you happen to have parents, grandparents, friends, and relatives who worked for Split Rock and there are memories to share or memorabilia or letters or diaries or official business or government documents that have been tucked away for all these years, please contact us at TOH Society, which is spelled S-O-C-I-E-T-Y, at yahoo.com. Over the next other podcast we will be having, we will be interviewing some longtime town of Onondaga residents and sharing their memories of what it was like to grow up in the town. And we hope to have Mr. Miller back and maybe we can discuss um, some of the geology of the Split Rock. This, uh, his knowledge of um, Split Rock is so deep and we really think it's important that we can uh, spread this knowledge and the history to uh, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.